Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast, episode 57, The Ketogenic Diet. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome back to another fun-filled adventure called Fusion Health Radio. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. We're up to episode 57. We're getting there. Um, today's episode about the ketogenic diet. Uh, Michael and I spoke last time about... Intermittent fasting. Another hot topic around health and diet and nutrition and that sort of thing. And uh, typically, if... Um, this is your first time here. This is the point in the episode where I ask Michael to sort of give us a recap as to what we talked about last time. But uh, because the ketogenic diet uh, kind of overlaps, is that the right way you want to say it? Uh, I'll call it an extension. An extension. Okay. So we're just, I guess we're sort of carrying on from whatever it is we talked about in the, the last episode around uh, intermittent fasting. Uh, ketogenic diet, according to uh, uh, Michael, you say that this is a uh, fairly popular uh, search term around health these days. Well, the term keto in the sense of keto diet is probably, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's the most searched uh, health term right now, but it's the most searched uh, dietary reference, especially with respect to fat loss, neurological conditions, uh, epileptic stuff, obviously neurological, uh, autoimmune disease, uh, chronic inflammatory processes, and most people who want to get ripped, which covers... Um, Everybody, except <laughs> the people who want to learn about piano, you know, <laughs> chords that's or something. That's right. You heard it here first. They're officially changing the name of Google to Keto. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just Keto it, man. It's a solution for everything. Um yeah, that that's kind of how it's looked at. And and one thing I do want to just leap on quickly. Uh, the term keto diet has been hijacked by all the low carb sort of uh, tendencies. So that's why it's been so searched because a lot of people are doing what I would medically consider a modified or more colloquially half-assed version of the keto diet or ketogenic diet. They're probably not getting into actual physiological nutritional ketosis, but because it's such a catchphrase, everyone who, I mean, if I'm in a restaurant or how many people I see a day in the clinic who say, oh yeah, I'm thinking about going keto. And there's a part of me that tries not to like twitch, like, you know, some know-it-all scientist person in there. Ah. <laughs> but if one more person says keto, <laughs> I'm going to snap. Yeah. Uh, and then I ask them, well, what do you actually mean by that? And most people say, oh yeah, well, I'm just eating a lot less this and that. But you know, once in a while I still do this and I'm like, yeah, medically there's no way you could actually maintain ketosis. So I'm not trying to be the nerd police. I'm just wanting to put it out there at the beginning of the conversation that if you're familiar with the term keto diet, it may have come into your consciousness or your sphere of influence through people who just mean low carb. Whereas if you're talking about nutritional ketosis as a measurable metabolic uh, strategy of the human metabolism and lots of other critters, now you're talking about something that's actually like medically testable, very, very specific, uh, a bit different in ratios for different people, but it's not a fad, it's a fact. Hmm. And there's a difference between, oh, yeah, I'm doing keto, and oh, yeah, look at my numbers. Right. Okay. Well, it, on all of that, I think it's important uh, to sort of preface this episode as uh, I don't really know the difference between the colloquial version of the word keto <laughs> or the actual word ketosis. Um, and so 
You're uh, fired. We're getting a new producer. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they may already have an idea. They're not asking. They're not going to ask you the same kind of questions. Um, yeah, I, I never want to do this with anybody else. This would be fun. Um, so let's just sort of take it from there. I mean, the, the word uh, keto versus ketosis. I mean, is there a sort of a medical explanation for what that is? Do you want to start with that? So we can, yeah, let's dive into that way. So we call it the ketogenic diet because a person is in a state we call ketosis. And we call it ketosis because you're running uh, your energy system on what are called ketone bodies. And that's like uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate, beta acetates, uh, other weird uh, fatty acid substructures that your body can actually use as a replacement for ATP or the basic the little molecule that we describe as the thing that produces energy in your cells. Okay, so uh, I'm going to be really pedantic and try to be as basic Always. as I can with all this. Um, if I was to look at uh, the idea of uh, being in ketosis, if I, if that's a way to, to say it, um, take a step back. What leads to that? So here's an interesting thing, and I actually just fell across this uh, actually this morning as I was between uh, con consultations and uh, I was on my laptop going, any other myths or, you know, factoids on the ketogenic diet that I could flog on the episode today? Because being the nerd that I am, I'm always looking for that, you know, weird sure. factoid that's around the corner. Yeah. By day four of after being born, you're in ketosis. And that's because... You're living on fat <laughs> and breast milk. Okay. Right. Although there is some lactose, which is a sugar in bre breast milk and, and some other things. Most babies are in, in ketosis in the sense that they're not getting enough calories from breast milk. Um, so they're using some of their baby fat as fuel to help grow and, and breathe and, and all that stuff. So I'm just saying it's a, such a fundamentally natural process that we're actually, uh, our, one of our initial metabolic strategies after we're born and trying to reorientate it to a, whatever, um, you know, is coming into our body as breast milk or as formula or as whatever, uh, the state you're in medically is called ketosis because you're burning on, you're, the energy you're using is more from internal fat storage and external fats than external protein or carbohydrate. Okay, and that's kind of how, um, I don't know, a typical diet would actually go. You eat fruits and vegetables and nuts and legumes and pasta and bread or whatever else it is that people are eating, and um, the body gets a whole bunch of different kinds of fuel, where in this case you're saying it's just coming from fat? You're not getting enough calories of carbohydrate in breast milk to cover all your caloric needs. So your body's obviously going to use up all the fat in breast milk. And um, also, it's hard to get enough like breast milk in a day to grow a human and keep a human alive in 24 hours. So, uh, you know, they do actually change. And you can see most babies are born and they look like, and God, I hope I don't get into trouble for this, but I'm thinking like those, you know, puppies with a bit too much skin, you know, and it's all kind of puffy because they got all that baby fat and that that's a great resource and i mean kids fluctuate back and forth between that until they're finished puberty mm -hmm. i mean you look at most kids in their you know late teens into their 20s and they finally thin out uh if they have a kind of normal athletic uh state in metabolism you know but it's it's usually in their late teens when you finally go oh look at look look at you you've lost your baby fat right yeah, I've got pictures of me, I don't know, eight or nine or something like that, sort of sit, sitting around a swimming pool, and I look at them every now and again, I'm like, hey, look at the little chubby kid. Yeah. What the hell happened? <laughs> Where did all that go? <laughs> so yeah, just to start that off, and um, 
Uh, I'll, I'll just throw this out here, Anthony. Does this seem like a good way to begin talking about one of those chemical kind of uh, gatekeepers that might help people ground in, in, the, in the science of this? Or do you think it might be good to wait until we have a bit more terminology and sense of the whole thing? Well, my, my own sense of it is that if I don't know what the word means, then telling me what it is doesn't mean anything. I, I want people to know when they see the word keto or ketosis, um, what they're actually reading and what, yep. what it's actually about, right? Yep. So, so the medical definition, it would be that your major energy balance uh, is uh, maintained through nutrition, nutritional ketosis or most of your large organs are now running on ketone bodies instead of glucose. Hmm. And the idea of uh, the keto diet, um, I mean, I, I think of different uh, lifestyle fads that, that have happened over generations and that kind of stuff. Is it actually new? Did it have a different name before? So glad you brought that up. So uh, it was about mm, probably 1915, 1920, uh, when the, the first really like modern-ish medical research uh, was done on intermittent fasting and then not specifically on very measurable ketosis because we didn't really understand it as well as we did or we do now compared to, you know, a hundred years ago, literally. Um, but they definitely were be able to measure the effect on inflammatory markers and obviously seizures because at that point their primary uh, use of ketosis would be on epileptic seizures. So if a person fasted or starved, more or less, to the point where they were in ketosis, they would suddenly, you know, stop having seizures. So, you know, tongue in cheek, it's like, well, you're probably got two months then, buddy, because, you know, you can't eat anymore, but at least you'll die without seizures. Uh -huh. hmm. So it was trying to figure out that balance. You know, but what's interesting uh, with respect to ketosis, not in the medical sense, but in the historical sense, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I actually picked this up in a science fiction novel, um, because the author was taking some of their characters through this sort of Silicon Valley, you know, a high-end nerdy place. And they were all on, I can't remember the name they used for it, but it was basically a ketogenic diet, but it was based on the diet of the Marquis of something of either probably France from, uh, Victorian times. So maybe minus another 50 or 70 years. And it was, this is really cool, actually. It was based on some guy who did a meta-analysis of uh, Renaissance and uh, Victorian art. And when I took all the paintings, which would be the closest we would have to photographs of humans before photography, there was this period of time in, in Western Europe when young affluent men uh, would do all of the things they would do, including dueling and, you know, all the sort of goofy social stuff. But they also had this really crazy diet which was mostly like butter fat and all this other stuff. So this Marquita somebody's diet, and I didn't bother try and look it up because I wasn't sure if it was real, but it was just something that I would have assumed was, you know, mildly credible from this guy's book, that that was actually a thing back then. And it turns out it's actually a thing in Silicon Valley to basically, you know, hang out on microdoses of LSD in this weird medieval version of the ketogenic diet to have maximum brain function. So just saying that even back in, in Victorian times, one of the reasons why all these people in paintings look so fit and thin and healthy is all the rich young people who got paintings made of them were on this crazy diet, which turns out to be pretty close to the ketogenic diet. So historically, uh, it's been around, well, since we were scavengers, but <laughs> historically in the sense of an actual thing that you could, you know, put on paper and pin to a time in, in modern history, it was literally in the Victorian times with a bunch of rich young people living on fat. 
Hmm. Well, and it, you've talked about, uh, sorry, we've talked about, you know, the ancestral diet and uh, sort of the uh, well, the paleo version of how to eat and um, I guess the uh, the reasonings behind how we would scavenge and in springtime we would actually be like, you know, bears waking up and going, oh, what's for food? Oh, there, look, there's something over there. Let's run over there and grab some before the other guy does. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's this whole sort of... Um, um, I was going to say historical. Is that the right word to use? Uh, anthropological. Well, I think uh, evolutionary. Evolutionary. Be. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, version of how it is that we've actually um, uh, come to know food, and then there's what we have today, which is you know, at the, walk into a grocery store and just get whatever the heck it is you want, whenever it is you want, right? Except that we have the unfortunate metabolic pressure of over 136 pounds of sugar per person per year in Canada and 154 pounds per person per year in the States. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, the likelihood of you still choking back that much death powder is probably... Oh, sorry, I meant to say sugar. <laughs> death powder. I was ah. going to ask you which death powder you're talking about. <laughs> There's a long list. Well, the, you've heard that before, the five white deaths, right? Yeah. There's uh, sugar and flour and salt and i don't remember what the other two are do you know uh, i'm thinking cocaine but it's probably not that <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all foods food oh, stuff okay. michael stick to the food table <laughs> <laughs> not the actual table with the rolled up i only got an bill. hour sleep last night so <laughs> <laughs> uh no i don't remember what they are but i, I do remember like the you know avoid the white stuff so yeah um but the reason i bring that up is that when you're talking about ketosis, you're talking fundamentally about the energy systems and how they're managed by hormones. And you cannot get into ketosis if you add any more carbohydrate than your body can deal with naturally, which mean, which naturally means, you know, I, I think by default, evolutionarily approved. Hmm. And I can't, unless we got time machines and alien cameras and spaceships, I don't think we're going to find any time in human history, even if we had all that stuff, where anybody had access to commercial sugar until commercial sugar. So you couldn't push your metabolism so far out of the natural resilience of going in and out of ketosis until the modern world, literally until slavery and sugar. And so would you say that our, uh, our modern diet the SAD diet, as they call it, the you know standard uh, American diet. Um, would you say that that's actually a uh, a byproduct of you know food uh, innovations and um, you know uh, high production of sugary foods and snacks and putting things in cans and boxes instead of just growing it in the field and eating it? Can I tell you a story? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I had a. a couple of really wacky teachers when I was studying because, um, <clears throat> God, I hope this doesn't completely throw my credibility on the window here, but uh, <laughs> I, I didn't actually go to school to become a doctor. <laughs> uh, echo, echo. <laughs> I actually studied in an oral tradition in, in two different lineages to study Chinese medicine. So although I actually started a school when schools became important because of the law and licensing and stuff like that, and I taught for years, um, so there's my credibility. If I can teach it, I probably know enough about it, but, um, because I studied in, in these sort of oral tradition, um, lineages. And at the time I was more interested in actually becoming a Taoist priest than a frontline clinician, but part of it was, you're going to learn Chinese medicine. <laughs> uh, anyway, one of my, uh, mentors had this very weird habit of trying to make points by, by making us do really weird stuff. <laughs> So this one time we sat down and we had to have um, 
we were all given a glass with ice and some amber colored alcohol. And at the time, I don't remember what it was because I was studying to be a Taoist priest. So I was about as far away from, you know, drinking or smoking or partying as you could be. And I think I was near the end of a 10 year period of like, I wasn't celibate, but I was pretty close mm-hmm. in the sense of, it was a, it was a, you know, what do they call that? It was a character building ex- ex- exercise. Well, I often refer to it more as like a phase, you know, like adolescence or something. I went through my early spiritual phase for my twenties and, you know, dived into all that. Anyway, so we're all sitting here with this, you know, fancy, you know, cut glass, you know, thing with ice in it and, and some probably whiskey or something like that. And this you know, evil Jedi <laughs> ancient, you know, uh, Asian man who's messing with our heads and he kept smiling and clinking the glass and saying, this is what went wrong. This is what went wrong. And then he used to make us write essays and he would never read them and he would always give us 10 out of 10 because as long as we thought it through, he was happy, which I didn't realize he didn't mark them until like a couple of years later. But anyway, so he did this thing where he said, okay, you know, do you understand? Do you understand? And, and go and write an essay on why um, in Western society, the advent of coming home and having a beverage with ice um, was considered in some way the, the proof of the inevitable downfall. So me and the few people that were still, you know, clutching to our chance to become Chinese doctors and all this other stuff in this really intense oral tradition kind of training, uh, ran off into the corners to scurry away and try and come up with essays. And most of us started with refrigeration because we thought, okay, well, of course, Chinese medicine doesn't want you to have cold liquids. It wants you to have room temperature liquids. And, and all this other stuff. So we kind of kept digging into all these different reasons why. And, and he goes, he was like, oh, close, close. You know, keep, keep trying another story, another story. Try, try another idea. And his whole point was, uh, which we <laughs> took like two weeks of writing manic essays <laughs> to finally get him to tell us. But he, his thing, and I'm not going to do a crappy Chinese accent here, but Western culture is about fashion and inclusion. So if this is what the cool kids are doing, this is what you're going to want more than anything. And after World War II, everybody wanted a fridge and a nice car. And the economy was kind of shifting, you know, from one of the, you know, world powers to kind of the the, the big bad world power in the sense of the U.S. economy. So it became a culturally implicit fashion and inclusive driven, almost like compelling instinct to live and eat and behave based on what you could now see in a box in your living room. So if you come home and the the cool people on TV, which probably would have been, you know, barely more than black and white at the time, if they come home and it's, hi, honey, I'm home, and honey brings the the, the drink with the ice and the smoke and the chair in the the man cave den, I mean, that's what was a compelling driving force for a lot of behavior. And once, I mean, and I... Uh, I am getting to the point here. Uh, Once that became kind of like uh, an approved um, kind of dose response thing in the sense of the advertiser said, let's try this. And the people selling stuff said, good job, we're selling, you know, about uh, every week or whatever. Then everyone in, in, in the business of marketing, especially through media like television said, oh, what else can we make that has a, a visual cue, an auditory cue, a smell cue, a taste cue, in whatever ratio we can come up with that makes people identify with that as a social positive towards inclusion? Hmm. So everything since the 50s in the sense of bad thinking around medicine, like fat causes heart disease, which sells a whole crap of sugar and food in boxes and vegetable oils. All big business is saying, yay, we love it, you know, because going to the farmer's market for a, you know, 
some cream and butter and, and dairy, that, no one's making money off that except the farmer. So, you know, eek, <laughs> that can't be good for the economy or health or whatever. Right? So they, 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 they just kept pushing with more and more brand awareness, more and more. Now it's color TV. So now we can learn about color psychology and all of a sudden, uh, the entire modern diet, including the, the punitive amount of sugar that most people choke back every year thinking, look at me, I'm one of the cool kids. Cause I had the breakfast cereal with a new dancing bear choking the Count Chocula guy with a, you know, a piece of silver, I guess silver's for werewolves. I don't know, but you know, it's all about the cartoon now. It's all about the dancing bear. It's all about, you know, what's on your t-shirt or your shoes, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in, in some parts of the world you get knockoff crappy junk food. Because there's knockoff <laughs> crappy stuff coming into like the affluent West and then you go to some, you know, I want to be affluent West country and you can probably get faux Fruit Loops. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I still have them. So I traveled to uh, Cuba in 2007 and... Uh, not a very affluent country, uh, but there was some junk food items that I found there that were essentially Oreos uh, packaged, uh, this brown and yellow kind of package and some kind of fancy font across the front of it. And I don't remember what the name of it is, but I, I have this collection of weird and wonderful foods from time immemorial. I, they're still sitting there, you know, how many years ago was that? And they're, they're still not going bad, but I have them mostly for the package. So yes, they do have knockoff foods for sure. Knockoff of crappy foods. Absolutely. Right. And so that, that's why I took that kind of weird segue in, uh, and run into the whole thing because for the people listening to this, I mean, I'm just going to ask you to consider something. You're listening to this because you're hoping that someone can convince you rationally with some information and, and hopefully some impish storytelling to make the decision you want to make. Well, I would say that that's kind of, um, the focus with the podcast in a lot of ways is that we're shining a light onto something and with enough information that somebody's actually going to go, Oh, Hey, wait a minute. I want to know more. I want to investigate more. I want to dig into that more. You know, I mean, this is <clears throat> fusion health radio is by no means the definitive encyclopedia of health and <laughs> lifestyle and mindset. As much as you're actually wincing and crying right now, <laughs> this isn't it, man. This is a start, maybe a little small scratch on the surface. <laughs> so as, as egoic as I may come off as, what I was actually <laughs> trying to say was, if you, if you need to go outside of, you know, your inner world to, to find the information, the motivation, uh, mentoring, whatever, to shift gears, it's because you're trying to change your tack or change your direction. And that's because you, like everyone else who's has a computer in their life, never mind it, maybe in their pocket, you only have that because of affluent, media-driven, commercialized culture and economies. No, I'm not a conspiracy person. I'm not a socialist. I'm an entrepreneur. But we're all living in the same matrix, if I can use that metaphor. So the thing that we're all trying to get ourselves out of mentally is that, that box of but my access to social, um, you know, connection and, and uh, alignment with what's popular is to do what's popular. And although that may be changing in the weightlifting, in the neurological and fat loss world, it isn't what's in your, your normal kind of mind as to what needs to be, uh, what, what's, what's the social confirmation or social bias for you to be cool? Half of it right now will kill you. So one of the reasons why people listen to podcasts and the reason as a clinician, I'm 
literally popping into your head listening right now. My hands are fiddling with your brain. <laughs> I'm trying to help you let go of your identification with the status quo because that's what's killing everybody. And as primates, we're driven to identify with anything that's going to up our social standing. Right. And so that, that goes back to the first sort of, uh, or one of the first thoughts you had where somebody walks into your, uh, your clinic and says, oh, I'm thinking of going keto. It's just sort of this offhand remark uh, saying, um, I'm going to do this sort of socially interesting kind of thing because it's what everybody else is doing. And this is my fun little snuck up on you trick here, which is you're doing the same thing with your metabolism. It's overwhelmingly convinced the way your social conditioning is convinced to eat the standard American diet. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to change your mind and mindset, you're going to have to go in there and stop listening to your conditioning, which is a really tricky thing to do because it's your conditioning. It bubbles up from behind you without you knowing. So that's why we call it conditioning. It's like, remember the Pavlov dog thing? Ding-a-ling-ling. <laughs> conditioning. <laughs> right? So I'm just asking anyone to listen to like, oh yeah, my problem isn't really you know, how to get the keto done right. I mean, that's, that's Lego, honestly, although I'll walk you through how to do it. Uh, and scientifically to be sure. Um, what I am saying is first step is to take your head out of the ass of your conditioning and say, oh my God, I really have to stop sticking my head in there. Cause after a week or two on keto, you might go, oh yeah, it was kind of interesting, but I'm not even sure if I got into ketosis and honestly, it takes about three weeks to be sure. If you got bored or whatever, your conditioning, like any other person with any kind of addiction will explain to you why it's so much more advantageous and cool and easy and fun and relieving and whatever to go back to what you used to do. Cause that's how conditioning works. Mm -hmm. There's the social stuff you get from friends, family, and TV. And then there's the metabolic itchiness of changing your metabolism. So I'm really trying to help people sort of grab on to, I don't know, the steering wheel of, you know, your life and how you're going to navigate your, your mind and, and your choices and your reactions towards your goals, which is to stop reacting with the status quo. So I'm not suggesting we all get white knuckled and, you know, get stressed out about the whole thing. But if you're not constantly navigating away from the problem, it's going to just sneak up on you. You have to be conscious of the problem to solve it. You know, identifying with some new fad solution that you may or may not understand or be able to put into practice is just a dissociative mild anxiety attack hmm. in the sense of what it's like to go there. So I really want people, this is so grounding and so powerful and so deeply transformational of how you can identify with what really matters deep within your gut and your bones. But you can't get to that state until you can get through the weeks it takes to change your metabolism and your mindset, which is going to actually allow you to behave, <laughs> you know, day, day to day, hour to hour, long enough to find out. So step one is, sorry to say, but, you know, we're all basically kind of hypnotized by, by screens and friends and commercials and wherever you buy your food. So step one is try and find some kind of really nasty, you know, adjective or the stuff you no longer want to put into your body and use it to change your conditioning. The way you describe this, so this I mean, everything that you're saying there is just sort of making my brain sort of pause here to try to make sense of what you're saying. So let me see if I can pair this back to you. Um, you're suggesting that doing something uh, focused on uh, the ketogenic diet and the process that that actually uh, creates in the body um, is so powerful um, and yet um, it takes a lot of strength to actually be able to come up to the plate and say, this is what I want to do in the first place. 
just because of how we've lived our lives and how we've actually eaten our foods and, and culturally done things, you're suggesting that we need to lift the needle, you know, off the record that says, oh, here's my life going round and round. I'm just going to lift the needle on that and go, hang on, let me pause for a second and really sink into this idea of it being uh, something significant uh, and then maybe not even putting the needle back down again. Um, that's in, in a way, but that's too far to the distance. Okay. And that's sort of more of a, I think a supervisor's way of describing it. And in the sense of how people would hear that, I'm not trying to poke you in the person or something. Um, the image that came to my mind as you were describing that, um, that felt more in tune with what I'm expressing. Uh, so I'm a martial artist. It, metaphors for me usually have to do with, you know, high consequence, you know, knife fighting situations or something, <laughs> but, um, so imagine you're walking uh, between two rows of people. Okay. And it's a martial arts conversation. So it's going to have some, I don't know, they're all going to swing some kind of non-lethal bat at your head just to help you train. Nerf bats. Well, that doesn't sound very threatening, but let's nerf bat <laughs> around a piece of lead. <laughs> so it's still going to hurt, but it's not going to leave a big hole. <laughs> anyway, because if there's no consequence, there's no point. So I'm walking along and everybody on the left side of my body, as I walk between these two rows of people, the people on the left that are swinging at me, they're swinging at me from instinct and metabolic discomfort, right? There's no voice to it. They're just like, because ah, ah, changing your metabolism hurts a little bit. All the bats swinging at you on the right are all your friends, family, commercials, pop-ups, uh, everything else that happens in your experiential world that distracts you from keeping your eyes on nutritional ketosis at the end of the gauntlet, which could take a few weeks to get to. But you're going to have to walk stoically, ducking and weaving between lead-covered you know, foam from the left and the right, right? And I'm exaggerating the difficulty. It's not actually that hard. It's just that hard for some people. So mm -hmm. I really want to make sure I'm speaking to the people that are going to have a hard time with this because it's going to be a couple of weeks uh, of going through hypoglycemia, what we call the keto flu, which I'll come back to. Uh, a bunch of other things that uh, are not just, you know, it's not like you just, you know, suddenly I've decided to switch from, you know, one kind of... I don't know, butter to another. I mean, you're changing everything about your metabolism. And unfortunately, but sort of fortunately, you're changing everything about your social life because everyone's going to sit there and watch you not eat or eat a big plate of butter and sausages and egg yolks and cheese, <laughs> you know, a little handful of greens or something. So so this, this is no small thing to, to consider actually. It, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. The two times I've ever done it, I mean, I've been on restrictive diets on and off for 25 years, mm -hmm. but going keto, the two times I've done it was, I mean, I'm a snobby foodie guy. I wrote a 600 page gourmet cookbook. I mean, to sit there and go, oh, let's see, I'll have sausages and eggs for sausages and eggs. Um, yummy. <laughs> uh, but it's so worth it if you can do it. But I just really want to encourage people to, to like, it's, it's not like, oh yeah, I'm going to go keto because my friends think it's cool. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to fundamentally change my entire metabolism on a cellular, organic, neurological, inflammatory immune level. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then I'm going to change my entire social life reality conditioning about everything that has to do with food, compensatory behavior, de-stressing and all that stuff. Just like that. Sure. Okay. So... I, I get the sort of, um, just preempting it with, you know, this, 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 this ain't Kansas kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it almost seems like this is the, uh, 
you know, when you, you, you see those uh, commercials on TV where they talk about side effects and they talk really fast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this is the expanded, this is what that, that actually sounds like for, for <laughs> yeah. in, in, in real time because we've been talking for about half an hour about what it is we're talking about or what, what we're about to talk about, which, which which just makes sort of makes me think that, okay, so if it's that transformative or that important or that... Um, potentially dangerous i would say uh to to step into this and dangerous because it's going to put people in their shit about how it is they live their lives and how it is they do their things and how it is they eat and all that sort of stuff um is this the part where you actually say who this is who it's for and this is who it's not for it's for almost everybody okay right i mean it's a part of our fundamental innate metabolism and uh, you know if i got a little bit more uh myopic on the dark heavies it's just because I've watched so many people try and flail and give up or try and suck back some ketone esters and, you know, pretend that they're, you know, actually doing something uh, they're not because we're good at pretending. And this is something that is so potentially valuable. You don't want to fake it and, you know, screw it up and quit. You really want to take the time and, and organize yourself and prepare yourself properly and, and invest in this. Because if, if you need to do this for any number of reasons or you just want to because, you know, you, you like to look cool in a bathing suit or whatever, no matter what your motivation is, it's a bit of work, mm -hmm. quite a bit of work to do it. It's kind of boring, you know, in the sense of being a gourmet foodie, but it's so worth it, but it's so easy to give up because if you haven't really thought through all the things between you and success, you're just going to get batted by a bunch of foam covered lead. Right. 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 Because, I mean, obviously if this was just like raw, raw, go kids, just eat lots of whatever, we would have started off with that. But mm -hmm. as a clinician who has to clean up the mess, I mean, this is a conversation, a conversation that if we don't do it well, is going to create a hell of a mess. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, so can we sort of get into the nuts and bolts of it? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking... Um, I mean, like I said at the at the outset, I have a kind of a cursory uh, understanding of what this is. When I think of something around the ketogenic diet or whatever it is, let's pretend, you know, I'm going to start investigating that. Is this the place to start where I open my fridge and I go, what's in the fridge? Like, what, what, what what's the sort of... Well, we either want to go into what's in the fridge or what's going on inside your liver, you know, and your brain and your, your body. Well, perhaps uh, start at the top, like, okay, if that's what's in my fridge and then sort of go through with what that actually does in the body. So like, I mean, what does a ketogenic diet even look like? Compare that to say, I don't know, what people are, are normally eating. The meats are a lot fattier. Uh, the portions are a lot more precise because to do this right, you're going to have to get fiddly with the numbers of it. So you might need a scale. If you're going to take this seriously, you need to get a blood testing device called a keto stick. Uh, there's a couple of other, other names for it. Uh, as well, using the urine strips uh, that diabetics use is not um, nearly accurate enough. Okay, so hang on, you're getting a little technical there. I'm still trying to find out what's in my fridge. Right. So uh, the meats are fattier. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, what is the ketogen? I mean, is it is it just all meat? Is it just meat, butter, and cheese? I mean, what? So you're gonna? I'll go with I'll just go with the numbers. So you're gonna probably migrate between sixty and seventy-five percent of your daily calories as fats. Okay. And that might sound like, oh my God, that's huge. But fats have more than two times the calories of protein and carbohydrates and they have no water. So you can have, um, you know, a, a tablespoon or two of butter has as much calories as a steak if it's a really, really lean piece of meat. Wow. Right. So when we think about volume, it's a tricky thing because, you know, the same number of calories 
uh, in a bowl of salad would be in, in, a, in a teaspoon and a half of fat. Mm-hmm. Right? So when we think volume and like, what does my meal look like? It's like, well, that's a good start, but it's going to be, uh, it will belie your imagination because if you just think all volumes are equal, then you're going to go nuts. Because your meals, I mean, I, when I was on that, that diet for the last time I did it, every meal was on a saucer. Not a dinner plate. Nope. It was mm. just, you know, sausages and egg yolks and fats and uh, other things uh, that were basically measured out to be this much fat, this much protein, this much carbohydrate. And some people need a little bit more of a window with, say, uh, say a 70-20-10. So it's 70% fat, 20% proteins and then 10% carbohydrates primarily is high fiber greens or multicolored, uh, but high fiber, uh, vegetables. Some people need to go 70, 15, 15. Some, some people do 60, 20, 20. Some people do 60, 25, 15, you know, in the sense of it's always going to be mostly fat, then usually proportionally a bit more protein than carbohydrate, but not always. Right. So in, in, I don't know if that, that helps with the numbers, but if you're going to open your fridge, it's going to be basically a lot of very fatty meats. And that's why I keep saying sausages because they're, they're pretty consistently, uh, well, I'm assuming most people, that's what you're going to expect from a sausage. If you can eat eggs, that's a great thing because you're getting your protein and fats in, in a soft cooked egg really, really well. Uh, if you hard cook your eggs, the fat's basically destroyed and no longer viable as a nutrient. So no, that's not going to help you at all. If you can eat dairy, lots of cheeses. So, um, so what aren't people eating on a ketogenic diet? No, not, no. Minimal roots and obviously nothing more dense as a carbohydrate than like carrots. Wow. So like no bread, no <laughs> potatoes, <laughs> no pasta, no, no fun stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just threw that at you because I was, I know, I was just like, <laughs> what? Yeah, I can't eat bread. Come on, man. This is like the keto light diet. You, you, you can actually, there are keto recipes for bread, but they're keto, not ketogenic diet bread. Right. But they're like an almond flour with, uh, undigestible fiber flours with a lot of fat. So you can, you can look at your macro numbers and go, I can barely get away with this, but it's keto. Dude, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just ordering from the hardware store. What are you ordering? I'm ordering my bread. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it comes in this large size, eight by four, <laughs> and it says MDF on the side of it. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Um, so, so you know, if if you wanted a uh, you know some glorious pictures of ketogenic diet of meals, you might want to go online and download any a number of the free keto cookbooks that Amazon will have for you to get you to buy a bundle of other you know ketogenic books or whatever. Just if you're you're a real visual learner, but I would suggest making sure with a capital, I'm sure, that you're actually looking at a cookbook that is about nutritional ketosis, not just the cool keto diet, because, I mean, they're in the same direction, but one is a medical phenomenon, the other one's a fad. So this whole uh, what's in the fridge thing, you know, I'm I'm just picturing, you you know. know, What kind of fats do you like? I mean, I know people who just walk around with fat bombs, coconut oil, cacao, uh, sunflower, lecithin, maybe some goji berries and, and whatever, and they just eat 10 of those a day. I was just going to say that the diet sounds pretty limiting and pretty boring. I think I mentioned how boring it was like five yeah. times already, just making sure that came across. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Boring isn't bad. Boring is like going to a meditation retreat. There's a lot of benefit in the lack of stimulation. Uh-huh, yeah. It, uh, well, I was, I was just going to say that, that somewhere there's actually a, um, a sense of relief. For me. If I think of eating that way, I mean, uh, a, a big part of my diet is just based on repetition. It's like, oh, I just know I'm eating this right now. Why? Because I need calories, not because I'm hungry. 
yeah, it, it just sounds like the, the whole keto thing is just, you know, um, really tuning in with the fact of whatever it is you're doing on the inside and stabbing your brain with a Q-tip and telling it to shut up that you should be eating something that's sugar-coated and a little bit more interesting. Yeah, well, we've all got Homer Simpson walking around in there because of conditioning. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so... Um, so let's get into the, the the geek out part. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, if, that, if all of that's whatever's in the fridge, and this is the why, right? Why am I eating that and kind of what does it do? So... Um, uh, are you is is somebody on a ketogenic diet still um, able to sort of function based on that sort of you know small saucer plate kind of fatty fantasy that's <laughs> that they're eating? I'm just gonna say this because it's funny and because of who I am. A person on a ketogenic diet who's actually in nutritional ketosis will kick the ass of some sugar choking carb monkey. Okay. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be smarter, wittier, funnier, faster, stronger, fitter, more endurance. Wow. In one way, less endurance in another, but that's a techie thing. Huh. Okay, well, let's get into that. Let's do it. I mean, start. start <laughs> bring with, it on. Yeah, bring it on. Like, where, where, where do you want to start with the whole idea? So in our last podcast, we talked about intermittent fasting, and I brought up a visual uh, image which can help us explore energy systems in a way that's kind of a metaphor. And I'll just repeat it very quickly. So think of your body as a boat, and it's a boat at sea. On the boat, in the sense of energy systems, as some solar panels that are on the top of your boat to passively get some uh, energy, and it's gonna, they're going to store that in basically a, like a car battery on the deck, just in case you need to like plug in your searchlight and figure stuff out. And if you don't have a lot of battery power underneath for some reason, you're going to need that. So humans need that that extra energy that's peripheral, just in case we need it in a hurry. And that's your glycogen system, which is mostly stored in your muscles and your liver. So glycogen is basically, um, if I was to use a metaphor that I'm just making up in this moment, it's like a bunch of car keys. The key ring is the the spine of the thing, and we hang all the glyce uh, glucose on it to turn it into basically a long chain of carbohydrate we call glycogen, which your body can burn uh, the way, and it, maybe it's more like a Pez dispenser or something. Like you can just sit there and flip off glucose molecules as needed for muscle injury and energy or brain energy. But that's something that's always circulating as glucose and glycogen and then stored as glycogen for fast use. And it's always got to be there. And what's a bit weird about this is when your muscles store glycogen, it's only for that muscle. Right. So once it's stored inside the muscle body as, you know, solar fuel or quick energy, uh, as glycogen, that muscle, if you use it up in, in exercise, you're not going to get your bicep to get more energy from your butt muscles if you don't happen to do leg day, right? Glycogen is, it's in the muscle, it's going to stay there. Once you've done that effort and you give your body a chance to downregulate from being physically overly active, your body will sort of naturally reset itself through, through dormancy or through sleep, and it'll even out glycogen stores throughout all your muscles, which is why I use that analogy of solar panels and, and, and a little car battery, because your body will keep reasserting having that emergency energy store on the surface of, of itself, like the deck of a ship, uh, to protect you from any possibility of deeper energy systems not working. And also, it, you know, it takes a while to crank those up, uh, you know, close to 20 minutes actually of activity mm -hmm. to start burning uh, uh, fat aerobically. So as long as we can have that image of, okay, I have this top of the boat, always self-regulating, really easy to use, finite energy system. 
and it has fuel. We're going to call it the sun. Then there's a bigger engine inside your body, which we're just going to, you know, call your nerves, muscles, bones, and organs in the sense that it has to actually crank out the energy that moves you around in life in every possible way. And what feeds those batteries is the trickle off of the battery, off of the solar, pa solar panels, in the sense that your body, if it has extra energy floating around and you don't use it up, it'll try and find a way to store it as energy or as fat. But the big engine that runs on, say, diesel or gasoline, in the sense of a metaphor for food, once you're, you're eating, if you don't, once your, your solar panel battery on the top of your ship is full, once your muscles are full of energy, it's inevitable your body has to store that energy from glycogen to a triglyceride. Uh, don't think I need to explain what they are, but it's basically, you know, a bunch of uh, glycogen stuffed into a, a glycerin spine that uh, you can store as fat. Right. So now as, as a boat, you've got a, a big engine that can run everything and build energy to store everywhere, but that's dependent on fuel or food. Right. So if you eat too much food and you're not burning off any of your glycogen with exercise, then all those stores are full. So everything you eat, unless you burn it off throughout the 24 hour cycle, it'll get stored as fat or as a big battery in your boat. Now, eventually your boat's going to be a really big boat with a bunch of batteries stacked on top of it, or you're going to look like, you know, Homer's really, really uncontrolled cousin, <laughs> the round guy, right? So if we can appreciate what those are, those give us just sort of a loose metaphor for those energy systems because your primary energy system in the body is what we call your Krebs cycle, which is where you take a carbohydrate, turn it into something where it's called acetyl-CoA, but we're going to say um, basically ACA just for less syllables. So carbs turn into ACA and then they get, they can, that ACA can spin the wheel of what we call your carb cycle. And think about spinning a wheel, like a, a water wheel, or I don't know, some kind of crank that makes energy symbolically happen in the body. And that Krebs cycle or, or that, that citric acid cycle that, that cranks out ATP or, or actual units of energy. Um, it's also a finite thing, right? So that, that's what your, your carb energy engine. And as long as you're eating enough carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, your body will always turn all those carbohydrates into glycogen and then triglycerides and then fat, or it will burn it off from triglycerides to, to glycogen uh, through the crank, you know, in, in, into ATP to produce energy. So what happens if you don't have enough carbohydrate? things start to diminish, right? You can't keep cranking the same crank. So at a certain threshold, and this is like back to the boat, when the solar panels aren't producing any energy anymore, and the battery on top of your boat is completely flat. So now all the little, you know, tricky engineering stuff that makes this kind of a boat work, the, 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 you know, the switches are going to click over to, okay, now we need to borrow some battery power because we're not eating anything or whatever we're eating isn't bringing enough easy fuel or carbohydrate. So once your body hits that energy system, which is like, you know, one B or number two, depending on how you like to number things. Now you're in this, uh, secondary kind of energy system where your body will dip into the fat stores and, and rearrange some things. And if it can, it'll keep mobilizing in uh, carbohydrate throughout your system, or even catabolize some of your own tissue and some proteins to turn that into carbohydrate because that crank we call the acetate cycle or the, pardon me, the citric cycle or the Krebs cycle, it'll keep cranking because it's been cranking out energy for you forever. 
So anytime your body can re-baseline, say some of the battery from your, your fat storage or your big batteries in the boat, recharge the battery on the top, now your body has to burn off that carbohydrate again uh, because it's just necessary to do so. So let's see, let me see if I can get this straight in my head. You're saying that my body's used to eating food and uh, running the body based on the diet that I've always known, which is uh, mostly based on carbs, right? So because my body's mostly based on carbs, I think that what you're saying is that for it to make the switch between running on carbs to fat, that's where the sort of um, uh, challenge is, or that's where the difficulty is in actually getting into ketosis? Okay. And then this is where it gets, um, I guess this is where the rubber hits the road because it's, it's, it, the body kind of switches between I'm trying to burn fat, but Hey, there's some carbohydrates. Let's go and use those because they're easier. Oh, there's some fat. Oh, look, carbohydrates. Let's use, use those. They're easier. So as your body switches between running primarily on the glucose engine or the Krebs cycle and then switching it back to fat. And what happens is fatty acids can get broken down also into acetyl-CoA or ACA, and they can get fed into uh, the acetate cycle as well, but just in a way that's more expensive because uh, your body will keep trying to produce more glucose because it's, it's, I wouldn't say preferred, but more habitual fuel. So, and this is a tricky thing to explain. So that crank we call the Krebs cycle crank or the citric uh, cycle crank, if it's not running on pure carbohydrate, it's running on ketones uh, and acetyl-CoA from fats, it'll start switching back and forth again to try and get its preferred fuel. And unfortunately, what happens with that crank cycle or the Krebs cycle, and I keep thinking crank so people can think of it, you know, turning in circles to make energy, it has a lot of cofactors that can that are finite, they'll get burned up. So as it keeps flipping back, flipping back to try and turn proteins into carbohydrates, that cycle eventually runs out of cofactors. So now you can't go from carbohydrate to a crank cycle to ATP because you don't have a crank cycle anymore because the cofactors are burned out. And that's fine because you don't have any carbohydrate in your diet anyway. But if you're running on a fat that turns into ACA that goes through the crank that produces um, ATP, um, once the cofactors of the crank run out, you no longer have a crank. So now fats have to figure out something else. So as fats build, uh, as the fats turn into ACA that wants to go through the crank, it can't because the crank is, is stalled. So now the ACA builds up to a certain threshold where your body starts turning the, uh, that, that fat, uh, fatty acid, uh, structure of, uh, turning into ACA, it turns it into ketone bodies, but it has to build up enough. So you're building up a kind of pressure that your body f kind of stubbornly finally says, okay, fine, I'll, I'll move into ketosis. You, you annoying jerk. <laughs> I've been trying so hard not to do this, but now I have no other crank to produce energy. So now the threshold of the ACA from fats will hit another enzyme threshold and your body will say, okay, fine, let's turn the ACA from fat into the beta hydroxybutyrate, uh, acetone or acetate, sorry. Uh, I think it's acetone too, and and these other ketone bodies, which your body can run through the body uh, into ATP. It's just a bit of an end run. Uh, unfortunately, uh, as your body starts to do that, it's a not very efficient cycle at the beginning, and that's why you have those uh, little pee sticks you throw in the toilet to pee on to see how many ketones you're actually expressing in urine. And the reason that those exist is because of something called diabetic uh, ketoacidosis. 
Because if you run out of insulin and you run out of, um, well, fundamentally the ability to add insulin, say with a syringe or something, and um, you're getting to a threshold where you're getting into ketosis, but you don't have any insulin to stop it from going past a crisis, then you die. But if you're not diabetic, you can still produce enough, enough insulin. Your body will get to this threshold where, you know, the crank isn't working, all this other stuff isn't happening. Your body will start flipping the fats into ACA. The ACA will get to a, a level at which your body says, that's really annoying, but I can use it somehow. And then it turns that into those ketones. And um, now your body's running on ketones. But if you're if the level of ketones and, and, and acetates and stuff like that get too high, another pathway flips over and your body releases a bunch of insulin to shut it down because if it keeps going too far, it'll kill you. Okay. So very uh, quickly, as long as you can produce insulin, you're going to be fine. Right. If you can't produce insulin because you're type one diabetic or type two has gone so far, you can't, then keto is not a good idea because I mean, and just on the sense if you didn't have insulin to, to actually control where it went. Because that's, that's what will kill diabetics is a lack of insulin. Yeah, yeah, so sure. if you're not insulin dependent, you can safely, well, as safely as you can, move into the ketogenic experiment uh, because you have that safety uh, factor in your metabolism. But that, that's what, why those urine strips exist. They're not as accurate as a blood test, though. Okay, so let, let's take a step back here. If, um, if my body's got it dialed, to be eating food in a certain way and being fueled by those foods, essentially carbohydrate-based, and all of a sudden you're feeding yourself a different diet of different calories, of different nutrients and all that sort of stuff, and you, is this, is this sort of idea of going from a carb-based diet to a fat-based diet or fat-fueled diet? Um, Pretty much. Is, is, is it a... What, what, because you, you said it there a second ago, there's the, a the sort of keto uh, experiment. Is this a hack? Is this something that's actually, um, okay, uh, a, a process that the body would actually go through normally on its own? Or, or did somebody just sort of one day all of a sudden figure out, well, I bet you if we did this and we did that, we could get the body to do this, and therefore it's going to give us this kind of result. Like, is this actually a, a legit thing to be doing in the first place? Well, absolutely legit. I think they figured it out in the opposite direction, but... I mean, now we know what we know, so now we can run with that. But up until very recently, we didn't really understand it well enough. And we still have some really tricky things to learn for people who want to do this in the long term. Right. So, I mean, it, it, and again, it, it just sort of sounds like something so fundamentally uh, different and challenging that, you know, my sort of guard is going up going like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't just sort of like, you know, I'm going to eat gluten-free bread because I like the way it tastes, not because I need to. Um, yeah, you know, uh, like some uh, sort of, uh, some sort of a fad kind of thing to do. This is a serious sort of, um, commitment. Yeah. And I'm doing that on purpose. Okay. Yeah. If, if I was trying to sell keto nesters, I'd probably be just doing the rah, rah, rah thing and keep mentioning my website. But, uh, as a clinician, my job is to, you know, reduce harm in the world. So I'm, you know, going out of my way to say, not so easy, not superficial, not what you think, but if you don't mind doing the extra little bit of, uh, mental push-ups and be a little bit more patient with the process and a little bit more crafty about what some of the, the fad hacks really do or don't do, you, you could do this very, very safely and very, very powerfully. And for some people, this could completely change your life for the better and or save your life from something like cancer. Wow. 
So this process that you're talking about, flipping the switch between how it is we normally process food to introducing this new way of processing food and the results, somewhere in there there's got to be a, a few million speed bumps. I mean, what does that actually look like on the outside? So usually it takes about three days, four days for you to completely f kind of flatline the energy stores in the battery on your boat, on, on the deck, right? So your glycogen stores are consistently starved out enough times that your body has to start flipping that switch to free up triglycerides to support your glycogen needs. So until that pathway is open, it's not. Okay. Right. So that takes a, a few days to, to, to get into. And then it's about two weeks from your, your initial kind of shift to whatever your, whatever state your metabolism is trying to figure out more fats, less carbohydrates, right? So between day three, four and about two weeks more, uh, you're likely to have a lot of metabolic instability. And that means you're going to be sleeping better or probably worse. You're emotionally going to be more hypoglycemic. So yeah, temper, temper. Um, the possibility, possibility of you experiencing, uh, dizziness, blurred vision, um, narrowing vision when you stand up, other things are all possible because of just good old fashioned hypoglycemia. Uh, you can get dehydrated because your body's, you know, use of, of, uh, water to move things around has suddenly changed a little bit. Because at first the production of ketones is very erratic and flipping back and forth between those different energy systems. Um, it, it, it's really just hard to assess, right? Which is why whenever I talk to people about this in the clinical sense, it's like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do like a week first of getting into very, very healthy intermittent fasting. And if you've never even done something like that, you might want to spend an hour and a bit listening to last week's episode on intermittent fasting and how important it is before you even think about intermittent fasting, you get onto an actual healthy diet. Because mm -hmm. if you're going to go from crap Homer Simpson diet with a lot of alcohol to intermittent fasting or from intermittent fasting from that right into keto, you're actually going to hurt yourself. So I think I just heard you say that this isn't something you would do lightly without yeah. some kind of supervision. Honestly, I, I would really recommend anyone doing this for any diagnosable medical condition to find a clinician who knows about your condition and how to apply nutritional ketosis to that condition, because they're going to know the top 10 really, really weird boogeymen that happen with that kind of epilepsy or that kind of, uh, you know, that version of MS or, you know, uh, well, there's, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of obesity based on hormone dysregulation. So, uh, if you're doing it primarily for fat loss and you're having a really stubborn time with it, it's probably because there's another issue at play. Right. So if you're doing this medically and you're trying to solve a really complex condition, get somebody who, you know, speaks that condition and yeah. ketosis, or just go at it in, in, in kind of the shy monkey curious way. Cause if you're going to go in it with some arrogance and, um, presupposition of, of controlling outcome, you're not going to be paying attention enough to the little bits. And that's usually when people get into trouble. So, well, um, you know, I mean, even, even as much as we're sort of qualifying this whole idea of uh, introducing this diet, it just makes me think that I think that's what people should be doing anyways, is really getting some kind of support and help and understanding with their own personal situation before they actually dive into something different. Like, yep. you know. But having said that, if you're a fit person and you understand your body, your metabolism, your 
dashboard lights of symptoms because you're a relatively healthy, healthy person and you're fundamentally just trying to next level your health, then you don't need a doctor, but you might want to have some accountability partners who are doing similar things or, you know, they're watching you to see what happens or you're, you know, following in their footsteps. Just because why would you try and do this totally like naked in the woods pioneer by yourself? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just too... Um, I mean, we're just brushing the surface of, of some of the mechanisms and pathways of what's going on. So, you know, if, you, if you're pretty confident, then enjoy being confident, but, you know, find a reality buddy just to make sure your confidence is real. <laughs> yeah. But you don't have to be worried about doctors and, and all of that stuff because you're probably pretty healthy and you're going to make this work. So again, one thing that happens between around day four, day 10, up to two weeks in, sometimes three, is this thing we call the keto flu. Yeah, which is again, hypoglycemia, ups and downs of energy and mood. Uh, The production is going to be erratic because of the switch between big battery, small battery uh, in terms of how your body works. So, you know, people get nauseous, they can get abdominal kind of, kind of grumbly discomforts and stuff. Cause there's a whole bunch of hormones down there that are now yelling at each other because if say I'm, I'm 50 or 50 almost, um, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, a stubborn kind of grumpy old metabolism that's going, what are you doing? Stop screwing with this. We, we know it works, mm-hmm. you know, so you can just, you know, give ourselves time to, to get through that part. If you are having a really bad sense of what I would call the keto flu, that's a good time, no matter how you entered into this, to talk to someone. Because why that's happening to you as significantly as it may be, may be a pre-diagnostic opportunity to correct something that eventually might bite you in the butt. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing that a lot of people get into, and it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do, uh, is to actually take exogenous ketones. Right. So that's the little, uh, no, it's like getting a vitamin C powder pack and you put it in water and drink it. But instead you're, you're, uh, you know, you're basically drinking, uh, ketone bodies or esters. The question I, I ask anyone who wants to use exogenous ketones is why do you want to do that? And it's usually guys that I know that are into fitness and they're impatient because they're young men full of testosterone <laughs> or, or there are sometimes women in midlife who are, you know, three years after their last kid and they're like, I got to get rid of these last 15 pounds, damn it. And they, they're in a bit of a hurry. And, um, in both of those cases, you, you just have to step back and say, again, why are you adding ketones? And the answer for most people is I want to see my numbers in my urine go up. It's a fashionable thing to do. And we're back. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hey, Bill, what are your ketone numbers? So there are, there are a few situations in, in the sense of um, athletic uh, ability and endurance and strength and other things that may suggest you want to take a, a hit of ketone bodies, you know, 45 minutes before you do a workout for a very specific kind of effort and result. But if you go back to the kind of weird math of, we have to exhaust the Krebs cycle of all of its cofactors to just maintain any effective ability to burn your own fatty stores as ketones. If you start taking ketone bodies, what happens to the switches? They go home. They go back to, well, we might as well store everything in those batteries again. Cause we don't, there's no requirement for energy in the boat. We have more than enough. So I don't care where it's coming from, but we sure don't need to use up these batteries. We've, you know, tenderly over months and years, you know, added to to carry around in our boat. Mm-hmm. So the downside with respect to the, the fat loss side of things, especially is you're, you're just stopping, you know, your engine from burning your batteries. 
So that stops the fat loss, literally, like, stops it. Hmm. Clunk. <laughs> you know, gate closed, thud. Well, when you, when you first said take those things, it would just make me think you hit your metabolism with a truck. It would just be a, a really backwards. Oh, it's, it's great if you have an exam to take or, again, you're going to go for some crazy, I don't know, I think I've mentioned before my weird thing I do in the gym where I lift 100,000 pounds in 100 minutes just because it's fun to say a lot. <laughs> but if I was trying to do something like that and I was in ketosis, I would probably definitely want to, you know, hit some, some exogenous ketones before that kind of an effort because... I don't think I've ever tried to do that in ketosis, actually. Hmm. Okay, bucket list. <laughs> Get into ketosis and see if I can do my stupid weightlifting thing. Um, but but that's the, the concern that comes up with uh, using exhaustion, uh, ketones, uh, you know, with respect to getting that result because you won't get that result if you're doing it. But there are situations in which those can be helpful. Hmm. So the, the idea of actually... Um Again, this whole process is nothing to sort of take lightly. It's a really big shift um, coming through the ketone flu and all that sort of stuff. What can people start to see at the, you know, at the end of that tunnel that says uh, ketosis? So just like intermittent fasting, um, when you start changing your metabolism around energy systems, the first three weeks are going to be, well, honestly, the day, days 21 to 24 are going to be the worst. Right. So it's literally, you know, I would just tell anyone... Keep doing your best. Keep taking your your you know pee on your thing or use your your blood uh, for the ketone bodies to get your numbers right, and I'll get into that too. Um, but until you're in the middle of week three or you know getting into week four, um, you're still in a very precarious place in the sense of what may or may not happen. But once you're done about twenty eight days, most of us can say, okay, I'm probably going to hit a, a more or less. Um, I'm moving my hand up and down like kind of a sine wave graph, but the, the, the wave would be fairly short in the sense of amplitude or up and down. Uh, so now you're kind of in, in, a, in a rhythm that has predictable ups and downs. And they're not so up or down that it's going to screw with your life. And then you're in ketosis. And then as long as you can stay there, you're just going to keep getting healthier for the most part. So is this something that you could do ongoing? You have to do it ongoing. I mean, once you start... Yeah, once you stop, it's no longer, it's not even a conversation anymore. It's like, oh, okay, now it's going to take me a month to do this again. So, huh. Although I'll say some people combine a kind of nutritional ketosis. I wouldn't call it fad keto, but uh, I'm not sure I would call it scientifically ketogenic either, but more in that direction. And every once in a while, they'll have a cheat day where they'll go out of their intermittent fasting window, window and or they'll bump their carbs just to make sure that they, they can keep all of the managing enzymes and pathways around those systems active and, and, and kind of, uh, I don't know, spontaneous and responsive. So if you're going to have a cheat day once a week or once a month or whatever your uh, cycles look like, the day after your cheat day is the day you want to take a ton of those kind of exogenous ketones to force the message. The, the idea of actually doing this, um, this isn't just sort of a temporary fix. This is, I mean, if somebody wants to do a ketogenic diet, that's it. That's all like, you know, they're always going to have a lot of room in the fridge <laughs> because there's not going to be a lot in there other than just grass fed so, so, meat. So, so there's this boat <laughs> <laughs> and you're at sea and you've got this big engine and there's another boat that's beside you with buckets of diesel on board, but you happen to have too many batteries. So the longer you can keep running on the ketogenic metabolism, the faster you're going to get rid of those batteries. 
Now we're, we're kind of centering the conversation around fitness and, and fat loss because that's the first thing most people are interested in. Even, you know, if you're trying to big build, big, build big muscles, you want to cut fat so you can see them. If you're not interested in big muscles, but you're lifting stuff up to burn off your fat, it's more or less the same conversation. It just looks different in the mirror, but all of the, the changes in terms of metabolic pathways and predictable results are the same thing. Right now, what's really important about this besides just energy systems is what happens to your body when you stop running on the most pernicious reactive fuel in the world, meaning sugar, glucose, yeah, which requires insulin and both of them will kill you. Well, that, or that else diabetes couldn't kill you. <laughs> well, that, that, that was going to be my point that, I mean, if, if somebody's always on the ketogenic diet and all of a sudden they, they go back, does the body, you know, is it like swallowing a wrench? <laughs> does it just sort of throw you into a world of pain or something? Or does it just instantly switch back. So I just have to keep going back to the boat. If you get enough solar panels to fill up your glycogen stores, uh, which will happen passively almost any, anyway, even if you're in a ketogenic diet at a certain threshold of energy or fuel from the outside of your boat, it'll switch back to stored in the batteries. It's all about thresholds and pathways. But the reason I brought this up is outside of the fat loss thing and, and the get ripped thing, what is the benefit of the ketogenic diet? Well, how many illnesses are due to excessive insulin and glucose? Most of the, hmm. most of the modern ones. Well, I heard you say the word cancer half yeah, an hour ago. Yeah, well, I mean, what is cancer one chomp on? You know, of the hundred and something known cancers, there, I think there's four of them that can live on fat. A few that can get away with a, a kind of... Uh, which is it, is it a glutamine or glutamate or something like that? So there's some cancers that can, you know, maybe hijack other nutrients, but for the most part, they're going to want to live on sugar. Cause if, if a regular cell requires one unit of glucose per hour, and I'm just using that as a false unit, um, a cancer cell needs 15 units of glucose per hour. So if you're now on a ketogenic diet and you have no blood glucose availability besides what your muscles tuck away just in case you get, you know, attacked by, I don't know, Sasquatches or whatever. It's a Canadian joke. Uh, <laughs> People are Googling Sasquatch <laughs> right now. What the hell's that? <laughs> hey, Bigfoot. Uh, you know, unless you're in some kind of really huge dynamic struggle, you're not going to need the, the glycogen in your muscles. So it's just there just in case, because your body has to keep, you know, th that happening. But when you start getting into the, the days and weeks of not having in insulin spikes at all, what we see within three to four weeks is a profound drop in uh, interleukins, which are kind of molecules within your immune system that regulate inflammation or produce reactive inflammatory cascades. Uh, intro, uh, uh, what's the one? Uh, CRP, C-reactive protein. Uh, there's a couple of other markers of inflammation that just predictably drop because your body's no longer burning tires hmm. in the sense of both sugar and insulin can kill you. Hmm. Right? I mean, there are people who are diabetic who use insulin to commit suicide. There are people who run out of the ability to get insulin who eventually end up dying because without insulin, sugar will kill you. Right? So once you're out of the insulin glucose thing in the sense of obesity, muscles, and diabetes, now we're looking at all the neurological disorders that are going to get better because now you're living on fat. Although your ATP running cells love getting ATP from fats as a ketone body, your brain needs those fats and it runs actually more efficiently on ketones than sugar. It takes about a month to get it to do it on purpose. It's actually a medical fact that once you're in ketosis and you're running uh, properly and you're not dipping too far out of it, your muscles, your heart, your liver, and your brain, and I think one other organ, 
but those four for sure, they're on average going to work 15% better. And so somebody who's actually, you know, let's say they're on week five or six of doing this sort of diet, what does that look like? I mean, we can smart, never... funny, fit, rested. Wow. So I've used this way of describing my experience. Um, and if it comes off as inappropriate, sorry, <clears throat> but, um, I am a person and I have a sense of humor and I can't not communicate to the world through that lens without either lying or, you know, not being myself. So the way I feel on a ketogenic diet is like a predatory animal, not predator, like sort of sketchy, um, you know, person who's kind of, you know, following you around or some kind of stalker crap, but predator, like, you know, the kind of discernment, confidence, gur and purr of a, you know, a lion or a wolf. You might, you might be walking around Main Street and, well, in my town, it's five traffic lights for the entire city, <laughs> but, you know, you're walking around with, you know, that, that kind of swagger in your step because you basically want to eat, have sex with, or fight with in a fun way, not in a hurtful way, anything. Because hmm. you're just full of steroid hormones because, you know, now you have all these fats and, and sterols and cholesterols at, at maximum availability and you're not running on... Uh, the insulin, you know, basically crack addict up and down of the stress of trying to run off sugars, you walk around with this girl and purr feeling for like days in a row of just like, wow, man, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm gonna, Hi, what's your name? Oh my, <laughs> and, and you don't, you, you can't get anxious. It's really hard to get anxious because your hormonal regulation is so balanced and your sense of well being is so established and your sense of visceral animal availability is so, you know, big and badass that, you know, the little things that bother you are kind of like, you know, whatever, whatever. Hmm. And you don't have all those massive calories, you know, being shoved through your blood brain barrier, you know, to make you have thoughts you don't need. You know, you're just going to get enough in there to keep you going. Are there cultures in the world that actually eat this way? I mean, we've been talking about, you know, sugar and carb-based diets, standard North American diet. Yeah. Oh, just I... keep going North. Oh, okay. You mean uh, Inuit and... I guess, yeah, they don't have any. <laughs> What's for lunch? Seal blubber and a piece of liver and some, you know, elbow. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just picturing a bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of folks just, you know, they're on their, what's left of their polar ice cap going, hey baby, you're, uh, <laughs> you're ice hot or mine. Yeah, really. <laughs> I'm trying not to, to go with global warming, environmental chaos cartoons in my head, but. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was these two doctors back in the forties, I think that had researched, uh, Inuit people are Eskimos and things and, uh, Inuit's more PC, but, uh. Sorry, Inuit is PC. Eskimo uh -huh. isn't. No. Just saying. <laughs> just, just, just FYI. Teacher going to go up there to, I'm going to do the pure keto. <laughs> I can think of, uh, guys I know, like, I know Tim, I don't know Tim Ferriss, but like Ben Greenfield and other people who are like biohackers, extraordinaires that we should send them all on a you know, a trip up north to live on seal blubber to see what, what their fitness is like up there. But anyway, there was a couple of doctors who lived for a year on what they call the carnivorous diet, which for them was, they, they thought was close enough to uh, uh, the Inuit diet where they just basically ate, I think elk, elk meat is their only food for a year because they were like from Sweden or Norway and they were hanging out with the Sami people, which are, you know, reindeer herders. Um, and their, their health was perfect after a year of just eating elk. That's all they ate. Wow. Friend of mine, Scott, he's on a carnivore diet and, um, he, he's had your average kind of, you know, adult midlife kind of stuff around health and 
uh, fitness and stress and life and marriage and kids. And, uh, he's on Facebook now and he's just eating one or two really big steaks a day. That's all he's doing. <laughs> and he goes, I'm on the carnivore, carn carnivore diet now. And, and he's, he's loving it. And, um, for how long? I think he's uh, about a month in. Huh. You know, but people have done this for a year. We talked about this but last last week on the intermittent fasting episode, completely different context, but still metabolically, I don't know, shocking. There's people who could have fasted for over 370 something days or for more than a year, just broth and pinch of salt. Mm -hmm. So humans can do a lot of really, really cool stuff in the, in the sense of maintaining physiological capacity. But it's that balance between, is your conditioning pro-health or pro-chaos in the sense of your metabolism? And can you at least fix that first? Because if you can fix that first, the pro-chaos meta metabolism, you can regain your, uh, call it innate or birthright metabolism, which can do anything. I, I'm just picture, picturing your scott there with uh bacon wrapped this that and the other thing for no i think he's just eating steaks just steaks. <laughs> I, see, I see his instagram pictures come up on social and, media and it's uh, just for to, to to what end like to to help his thinking to help his guts i mean what what was this whole motivation to want to do this in the first place uh, well let's call him a, an apprentice biohacker okay and then i, I, I don't have a, he probably listens to the show. i know he listens to the show because he comments on it but um Scott, I apologize if that was offensive. I did not mean that Apprentice Biohacker wasn't badass. It's just, I'm not sure how far he is in, into the, right. the the whole big thing. It's just what I've been watching him do because he's one of my friends. And I was just like, oh boy, here goes another one. Let's see how it goes. Yeah. And he, he's doing great. Huh. And, and so the, uh, I mean, just, just you saying that gives me some sort of sense of relief that people can actually subsist on a diet of this alone uh, as, you know, uh, as boring as you can get, if you want to call it that around, um, you know, gourmet, this, that, or the other thing, uh, is there any sort of, um, I mean, just in the, in the process where you're talking about how the body actually switches over and, you know, that was a pretty extensive geek out there. Was there anything we missed around all that that you still need to get into? I'm just going to ask you, my good friend, Anthony, can you start listing off diseases that you know that have to do with the human brain? Well, we've talked about Alzheimer's or dementia or uh, bad math skills. Uh, that's it. Parkinson's, MS. <laughs> <laughs> All the epileptic things, um, certain uh, kinds of tinnitus. People who are oversensitive to EMF often, often have a mildly atrophied temporal lobe. Um, depression, anxiety, PTSD, ADHD, certain aspects of autism, fix your brain, fix your mind, mm -hmm. right? Fix your brain, fix your neurophysiology. And again, there's actually a myth in, in sort of modern keto lore. Oh, that was fun to say. <laughs> modern keto lore. <laughs> well, it's just the idea of modern and lore. It's just sort of a, <laughs> all the nerds are giggling. <laughs> modern lore. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, so one of the myths in... It might just be you. <laughs> hey, it says nerd right here. <laughs> oh, what's that sound? I think it's the sound of Michael's ego deflating. <laughs> Keep poking, brother. So again, one of the things in what we call modern keto lore is your brain needs glucose no matter what. Your brain is very stubborn about shifting from glucose to ketones for sure. So it takes that few weeks, but 
Once your entire system is in ketosis and there's no big perturbations out of that, after a period of time, your brain will actually run on about 70% ketones. Wow. And your diet is full of brain food. And because you're probably in, in a state of something close to intermittent fasting, your body's going to upregulate what's called BDNF or brain-derived neurotropic factor, which basically means grow brain from inside brain. <clears throat> I don't know who comes up with this stuff. <laughs> so now you're eating all the things that help a good a brain work and heal and grow and repair itself. And you've induced the hormone that actually activates the process. So damn, it's like someone actually thought this through like a scientist or something. Hmm. <laughs> so is, is this uh, a prescription is what you're saying for, for uh, brain related uh, illness or disease? Uh, if a person with some kind of neurological condition actually went to see a neurologist who knew about the ketogenic diet and then they, they said, here's a list of things you're going to do now, then yes, that would be their prescription. I am in no way stupid enough to say anything <laughs> with my mouth out loud. I prescribe da 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 because it's actually a legal, um, yeah. contract. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Huh. Wow. Um, well that's all kinds of awesome. Cause I, I can just think that, um, the whole idea of the struggle that we talked about for the first bit of this uh, podcast, uh, this conversation around the um, stranglehold that our body and our mind and our spirit has, uh, sorry, being strangled by sugar and our typical diet, uh, at some point all of a sudden just goes and deflates. Yep. And that's why I keep bringing people's attention back to the boat. Simple image. Like, cause your boat will start stacking batteries all over your boat. And then you might have to get a bigger boat to just carry on your batteries. And most of us don't want to be bigger and, or have batteries, you know, hanging off all of our, you know, butts and boobs and everywhere mm -hmm. else. Right. Bellies. So, uh, you know, just keep going back to the, that analogy, which is until you're consistently burning battery fuel through the engine and through the deck, you're not. I can only imagine, uh, people like, um, uh, Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs or that oh, sort of I'm thing. sure they, like, they probably tried it just because they wanted maximum potential. Well, it, it, what it makes me think, what it makes me think is how, um, he wears the same outfit every day. You know, it's jeans and that gray t-shirt, Zuckerberg, right? And, uh, same with, uh, Steve Jobs wore the same outfit for years. And that's because, um, he didn't want to expend the energy to think about what his clothing was. He just wanted to focus on other things. And I would think that if, you know, I just need to twice a day go into my fridge and put a steak on the barbie, you know, cook it up medium rare. Yeah, barbecue would be bad because it's inflammatory. Uh, saute a steak <laughs> on, the, on, the, on, the, on the grill. It, it's called roasting. It's this old thing people used to do. I okay. can metal pans. Or <laughs> <laughs> there's these clay pots. People make this stuff called stew in. That <laughs> okay. Trying to help, man. It's all about harm reduction. Yeah, well, that's great. <laughs> Hey man, I'm trying to quit my barbecue. This whole keto thing. Yeah, you gotta hire someone to like so, steal your barbecue nowadays. So that, that that's probably a good thing to, to to talk about. I mean, my point was that you know if you simplify your life around clothing and around diet, you know what could you get done? Well, before we go next, is do you know who started that whole fad? The clothing thing? Yeah. No. Einstein. Hmm. Yeah, basically Einstein had said like I don't want to waste the calories thinking about something as relevant to me as my clothes. I'm clearly one of the smartest people on the planet and the world's at war. So maybe I should use my time well. Hmm. Wow. So every smart person ever since Einstein, who really is got their 
cred, you know, like they're really doing it and making the moves. Almost every one of them says, okay, I'm the next Einstein. All right, better get my poop together and stop wasting my time on playful things because I might be the person who saves the world. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I, I can only imagine what sort of efficiencies uh, would be available to the individual once they uh, start, you know, running their uh, their thought engine and their, you know, their, their sort of spirit engine on this whole idea of ketosis. Yeah, I think if I was allowed to, to call the top, I don't know, 1,000 people who are the most effective in the world, I, I would bet 35% of them are on ketogenic diets. Hmm. Is it possible to do... Uh, I don't know. I was going to say, I, th I think I already know the answer to this, but to do it sort of uh, half and half, like to do something where you're focusing, you know, uh, a couple of weeks where you're focusing your, your, your diet on kind of fatty uh, foods as opposed to uh, normal foods. Is it possible to make fats more, like l let's say somebody doesn't want to go all the way into the whole idea of a ketogenic diet. Can you be doing the keto fat diet? So go for it, man. But you don't need any sticks or, you know, pen things, but stop telling people you're doing ketogenic stuff. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> that's good to know that there's, 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 there's no sort of halfway with this. Nope. There's no sugar coated keto diet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so good. <laughs> Anthony one, Mike zero. Um, oh, we're competing. <laughs> I didn't know. And, and, oh yeah. <laughs> just like. <laughs> let, me, let me just warm up here. So if, if there's, um, and, and you said, you know, a, a minute or two ago, I was trying to sort of paraphrase something as I uh, want to do around making things clear for myself, but um, uh, there, there, there's, there's a way to actually prepare food on this diet as well that actually don't hinder things. I mean, you, you're not going to get a 101 keto recipes. Yeah. Oh, there's thousands out there. Really? Yeah. So in my unapologetic attempts to unapologetically be <laughs> just honest. Uh, a while ago I downloaded, I think 28 free ketogenic or keto diet cookbooks as a bundle to buy one other book I actually wanted. And I haven't looked at any of them yet because I'm not doing the ketogenic diet right now, but there's at least 29 cookbooks out there. Hmm. Cause I got 28 for free and one not. Uh, again, I haven't looked into all of the gastro porn of keto, but yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine it being less than almost infinite. Like it's just creativity and combinations. And, you know, one thing I often ask people to do is just imagine you have a, like one of those globes we used to have in school where you'd spin it and then stop it with your finger. If you put your finger on a landmass, find out their cuisine and what they ate in winter a thousand years ago, and it's probably ketogenic. You know, just in the sense that um, lots of options, but what you're going to be shopping for is going to be pretty, you know, stick to the wall in, in a way that's going to be, uh, uh, I don't know, cooler. Maybe colder would be the word. A little bit of a chilly breeze through the mind of like, yeah, there's really no point getting anything else because I'm allowed to eat nine things in the store or whatever. Yeah. And I'm not trying to make that sound like hell. I'm just saying, yeah, it's going to take a different kind of creativity because it's not stimulation addiction anymore. It's I have these few ingredients to turn into something really different. Well, it almost takes the idea of of uh, really um, focusing on your diet as something being um, health giving, um, as opposed to oh, there's a bag of colorful something or other that's kind of crunchy and sweet. Maybe I'll just eat that. You know? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So lots to it. Uh, one thing that popped into my mind. Um, <coughs> 
just because it comes up in in a few of the the there's probably about 10 people on on youtube who are like the keto people to go and talk to and i think pretty much every one of them goes through a video on at some point and says this is what alcohol will do to your ketogenic status and it's a no alcohol bad sugar bad everything that ain't fat protein and greens bad interesting um I mean, we, we, we sort of went into a, a geek out metabolic process there. Sorry, you did. I followed the bouncing ball. Um, and uh, there, there's more sort of involved with actually how to, I guess, start this or how to actually process this or, or do this sort of thing. You mentioned something about pee strips or blood testing and that sort of stuff. Is there yeah, anything you want to address there? If you want to take this seriously, um, try and do it as old school as you can because you're just going to have less confounding elements to the process. If you don't want to do that, then get some keto esters and and uh, pick a mentor who's really consistently talking about this, so that as you patiently kind of meander your way towards this um, in a slightly faddish way, at least you'll have the support if you get uh, frustrated, which you may find yourself with your results. Uh, you know, you can give up on the the quick easy parts and then get a little bit deeper into it. Uh, if you're going to just get started. Uh, the urine strips would be a good uh, baseline to get going. And what you're looking for is about 0.5 to about 4 uh, as the numeric result of that test. Uh, just to be able to say, oh, look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to produce more ketones. Now, anywhere between 2, 3, 4 means you're starting to actually advance into uh, complete metabolic ketosis. When you're averaging 5, 6, 7... Uh, in the sense of results, then you could say you're starting to establish a ketogenic metabolism. People have had results up to 15, you know, uh, 16, but those are people usually doing a ketogenic diet and they're adding ketone esters just because they're trying to see how high they can get those numbers to be. And in some medical conditions, getting those ketones really high may save you from, you know, brain cancer. So uh, there is a point to, to those processes. But for most people, uh, you're just going to try and hover from like two to three to four to five because it takes a while for your body to consistently produce, you know, enough ketones uh, to stay there. But the only way you can be medically accurate that you have those ketones in your blood is with a blood tester because your body flushes out ketones, um, especially acetates um, and, and things like that through your urine. So if you're doing a, a pee test and your kidneys are always dumping off 10, 20% of the extra ketones and you're adding ketone esters, you know, maybe, maybe seven of your 15, you know, units, uh, of your result on, on, on your urine strips is just waste, mm -hmm. right? For you to be doing a happy dance going, woo, I'm in super profound ketosis. It's like, well, maybe, maybe you're just peeing them out. So again, the only way to be medically accurate is, is with a blood test and you can find them online. They're not really super easy to find, but you can definitely find them. Um, Jimmy Moore, uh, who's a pretty cool guy. Uh, he's got the podcast, dare I mention another podcast, but, uh, it's called Live and Libida Low Carb. And he's, um, got an amazing story. He's put out three or four books on different things around paleo and fat loss and ketogenics and cholesterol and stuff. He used to be over 400 pounds. I take it he's now 400 pounds now? I think he's down to 240. Wow. And he's six foot five or some crazy thing. He's this big, huge, friendly, giant guy. Really cool guy. 
but I think he was a part of the team who put together the keto stick. So if you're having a hard time finding it uh, through normal searches, just track down Jimmy Moore keto stick and uh, get a hold of him or his peeps and, and they'll, they'll figure out how to send you a link or, or actually just track down me and I'll send you a link to it. Well, that, that was going to be uh, my next sort of question was, you know, we've, we sort of, I think we've come sort of to the end of the conversation as to what we're uh, on about with, uh, with keto, but where do people actually start? I mean, are you keen to um, support somebody through this whole process or to uh, give well, them... Well, if they're a medical patient who needs medical supervision, absolutely. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean... Whatever, whatever we're doing here isn't something, isn't you as a uh, paid medical clinician. Nope. This is, this is you as a podcaster with me yeah. in the room, right? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely no. <laughs> <laughs> That's the big no now, no, no noise. Um, so you're okay with somebody actually coming back to you with like, Hey, Michael, can you help me through this process? Yeah. yeah I mean, we, I probably get, I don't know, I'm not sure exactly how many people a month contact my clinic from the podcast. Uh, saying, yeah, I heard your show and, uh, there, you, you mentioned this one thing that really relates to me or my mom or my dad or somebody I know. And, um, I don't, I don't usually engage them as patients cause they're from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless I'm the only person that it really makes sense to help them. But usually when I find out where they're from and what they're looking into, I, I have a pretty good list of, uh, functional medicine, integrative medicine, people, Chinese medicine, people, uh, especially around, uh, Canada, the U S uh, UK, Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, and stuff like that, which is mostly our audience. Cause I guess this is where, you know, people are interested in these kind of things. Uh, I usually just refer people to the person who's most likely to be, you know, in the area and available. And, you know, I don't know. There's just something about being in a conversation with somebody through Skype that has a certain mojo and a certain limit. And then there's conversation in a room with a person who lives in close enough to you to just somehow, I'm not trying to like make my business worse here, but, um, there's just something about talking to a person who probably shops at the same store and when they start talking to you about, oh yeah, when you go and do this, you'll see. And then they'll say exactly what you would say, cause you live in the same part of the world. Right. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, well, I live in this town with five traffic lights and you know, we have to duck Sasquatches and bears to get to work <laughs> in the morning. So, uh, and, ap- and apologize to each other <laughs> and apologize to the, a lot. <laughs> the Sasquatches and bears. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's just to say like, it's it, sometimes context and terminology. It's easier with somebody who's, you know, from your, you know, your, your neighborhood kind of, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, of but, course. But if for whatever reason you think I might be the, the go-to person to help sort out your stuff, absolutely love to help. But, uh, I, I usually will say, are you sure you don't want to work with somebody more, more local? Hmm. Uh, I can honestly say that this makes sense. Um, this whole idea of, uh, the ketogenic diet, uh, not knowing, uh, more about it, short of the fact that it was kind of meaty and fatty and that's kind of it. Yeah. And there was a few other pathways we could have gotten into to give people some, I don't know, especially the clinicians a bit more of a, I know, robust understanding and a few other little safety catches if, if they needed them, but, um, well, maybe we can uh, make that another short some, podcast. Uh, yeah. So at some point maybe it'll come back up, but, um, or you can just then, apologize for not doing it. Yeah, sorry. We didn't have time, but it's already like 90 minutes ish. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, please make sure you've done a little bit of research, maybe even talk to your family doc or anyone in your family or your friends or your social circle who may know about this or who has tried it. Uh, if they're just rampantly negative and frothing at the mouth, they may be dealing with a conditioning issue. So, <laughs> uh, they swallowed the conditioner, mom. That's why there's froth in their mouth. <laughs> 
Uh, so if a person's like way over the top pro keto without any sense or pro totally anti keto without any sense, find somebody who's like, yeah, I get it and I understand it and I can help you figure it out. And this is, this is what to do. Um, but it's an incredibly invaluable thing and it's relatively free. You don't have to pay a clinician to prescribe you a bunch of stuff. You can just go and do some research and, and fiddle with it, sneak up on it. And when you're ready, block out a month and commit to the whole thing and see what happens and see who you are and how you feel at the end of it. And I'll bet you like, like don't want to say a number of money because I'm sure somebody will come and try and get it. But I, I, I bet you, uh, you just a 15 like minute massage, if you can track me down, <laughs> <laughs> that if you do this, you're going to feel amazing if you do it right. Or you, if it doesn't work, then... You track could, me down and I'll give you a neck You rub. could just say that they'll feel like a million bucks <laughs> and, and you take the, you the financial burden is off of you. Yeah, what is it? If, it? if it doesn't work, I'm trying to give people some kind of like negotiation thing, you know. Like, yeah, okay. Like it's, it's like 95%. If you do this right and you, you do it for reals, you're going to feel like that current per wow, potent, mm. powerful, happy place. Yeah, awesome. Uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, you can uh, get back to Michael with uh, questions, ideas, uh, complaints, concerns, all the above. FusionHealthRadio at gmail.com. You can always connect to us uh, with the Facebook page. Look for Fusion Health Radio there. Um, am I missing something on that? The website will be up as soon as we get our PHP batch something changed. But <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it needs a stake. <laughs> Maybe it's a person who's helping me needs a steak, but that's right. Yeah, he's, he's a, I think they're a vegetarian though. They're, so. on, a, they're on a sugar high right now. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> Too many sweet peas. Um, yeah, certainly uh, contact us uh, if you are keen to learn more about the ketogenic diet. I'd love to hear from you. Um, this has been f episode 57 of Fusion Health Radio, the ketogenic diet. I'm Anthony Santa, and that's Dr. Michael Smith. And please, if you have any experience, pro or con, with ketogenic practice, please leave it in the comments. Worked great, almost killed me, whatever. You know, start the conversation because I'm really curious of the people who hear this, you know, who are like, yay, it's amazing. Or like, you crazy people, it almost took me out. Yeah. Because I'd, I'd love to talk to the, the very few vanishingly small people of relatively healthy people who have a bad response because I'd like to reverse engineer why. Hmm. Wow, that's a great invitation. Uh, great conversation today, Michael. We'll see you next time. Okay. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.